the country of Israel, city of Jerusalem. We're going to take a glimpse into the life of the Ben-Hur family. Some of you might be familiar with the story. Ben-Hur family was a family who had a lot. They were one of the richest in the city. They had a nice estate. And like it was that era of time, they had many servants to help them with that. Life was good. Well, they had two servants. One was Rachel. She was a dedicated lady who was dedicated to helping the family. She had been there for years, faithfully serving the Ben-Hur family. And as was the custom, after so many years, the servants could decide if they wanted to stay for life. And she chose to stay a servant to the Ben-Hur family for life. And a sign of that was to have her ear pierced as a token of commitment. Well, there was another servant, Simon. He was the overseer, a manager. Very responsible servant. He was not committed for life. He was more almost a paid position. But he had his eye on Rachel, and he wanted to marry her. So he asked Rachel to, to marry him, and this was her response. Well, I'm committed to the Ben-Hur family for life. What happens in a couple years when you get the chance to leave, what's going to happen? The Ben-Hur family was very nice about it and said, gave Rachel the opportunity to leave and to be relieved of the responsibility of being a servant to their family. However, she said no. She's committed to her original commitment. So the only other answer was for Simon to as well take the pledge, have the ear piercing, and be committed to life to the Ben-Hur family. He did. He went through with that, and they got married. Soon after that, the father of the Ben-Hur estates died, and Judah, his son, was left. The master's son. Shortly after, he was falsely accused for murdering, assassination. He was imprisoned and sent to the gallows. Galleys, the ships out in the ocean where the slaves had to row. Who was left in charge? Simon, the responsible servant, committed for life. He was now the ruler, owner, manager of the whole estate. Multiple servants, even of the Ben-Hur family. Years went by. Judah escaped and came back and revealed himself. Nobody really recognized him. But Simon did. But he didn't just hand over everything to Judah right away. He put him through a lot of testing. We're going to take a time out in the story, come back to that at the end. What does it mean to be a servant? So this morning, a question for you. What are we going to be doing in four weeks? Anybody know? Communion. Communion. 
What is communion? If we had a visitor that have visitors that morning, what are you guys doing? What is communion? How would you respond? What is it? And I think we would all agree it is a beautiful time of commemorating what? The Lord, what he did for us. Jesus' death on the cross. We have life in that. Do you look forward to communion? It's a wonderful and beautiful time of worshiping with brothers and sisters, coming together to think about Jesus and what he did for us. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. I would like to read a couple verses here in introduction to my message this morning. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is writing, and we see here in verse 17 through 22, he is reprimanding the church of Corinth for not handling the Lord's Supper appropriately. They were viewing it as a fellowship meal, a time to eat, time to have fun. So that's what he's warning them in 17 through 22. Jump in with me at verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So Paul's there for a minute. Paul simply lays out what communion, what remembrance, commemoration looks like. It is the juice and the bread. Thinking back to Jesus' blood and his body broken for us. So he's setting the stage, right, for communion. This is what it should be. And communion service is so simple that a child can see what's happening, but yet so profound that most scholarly men can't fathom the real depths of it. Communion. That's what's coming up in four weeks. I hope we're excited for it. So then, why do we have a council message? Why do we have a council service? A couple of weeks, we're going to pass the mic around. Some of us are maybe dreading that evening. So why do, why do we put ourselves through that dread? Why? What's the purpose? Continue with me. Verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the blood and the, the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. Then ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. So here Paul portrays the meaning of counsel. Why we have a counsel service. 
And why do we? Jesus asks, his requirement is that we do not partake of communion unworthily. Are we in the right spot? Is our relationship with God where it should be? And last week we had a wonderful inspiration of what we fill up our heart with. What's in our heart? Who are we? God sees the heart. Men look on the outside, but God sees the heart. And in looking ahead to communion, we should look at it with anticipation. But also it should bring about a seriousness and a time of reflection as we look at ourselves. How many of us are human? Our hands should go up, hopefully. We're all human. That means we're born with a sin nature. That means we are prone to mistakes and to sin. It's not fun to point out the negative, or it's not fun to confess the ugly things, the sin in, in my life, in your life. That's not. Encouragement is often more powerful. So why can't we just encourage? Let's have an encouragement service as we prepare for communion. Well, accountability and examination comes along with encouragement. The body of Christ is there for encouragement, but is also to examine and exhort one another to do a check on our relationship with God. And that is the purpose of counsel. And as we see here, Paul used very blunt words for, those, for that person who takes unworthily. And no, we should not go into it with a fear of, oh, what if I have something in my life? No. But go into it with a reverence, looking at our lives. Is my relationship with God right? Is my relationship with others, others in the church, those around and if that's the case, we can beautifully participate in the communion service. So, my goal for this morning is for us to see the need of counsel or examination so that we can look at our personal life and seriously consider how our relationship is with God. So to do that, I'm going to go to Exodus 21 this morning, so you can turn with me to Exodus 21 and as we think about our lives and examine ourselves, what does that mean? And yes, uh, communion is a New Testament principle, so why am I going back to the Old Testament? I think it is beautiful how we, we often, often view the Old Testament as the law. Okay? The New Testament, under Jesus' teaching, a new law. But yet the Old Testament so beautifully portrays and symbolizes and supports the New Testament principles. And it's beautiful. And I hope we can get a little glimpse this morning as we take a look at Exodus 21. So uh, follow along with me as I read the first six verses there of Exodus 21. Now these are all the judgments which thou shalt set before them. And if you buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve. And in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. 
If his master have given him a wife, she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awe, and he shall serve him forever. Anybody willing to be committed for life? Anybody want to have their ear pierced? So what does, what does being a slave or a servant look like? Often when we think of slavery and servanthood, we get the idea of a couple hundred years ago of the United States working through the slavery issue. However, that was not the case. Where are we in Exodus 21? What is happening? Context, remember? The Israelites have just come out of Egypt. They are now wandering in the wilderness, and God gave to Moses a law, rules for the Israelites to live by. Okay? And here he beautifully set in place the principle of servanthood. What did that look like? So, group of Israelites... Wandering through the wilderness. If a person was poor, did not have enough to make ends meet, could not support their family, they in turn could be indebted to somebody else and serve them to take care of their family. Or if they were in debt to somebody, instead of paying off the debt, they could work for their master to repay the debts. That's what servanthood looked like. If a slave decided to run away, nobody was required to send him back. A little different than we sometimes envision a slave. Okay. After a couple years, six years, like it said, he should go free. The servant has a choice. Everybody, all servants, slaves, you have the choice to go free if they want However, sometimes, actually most times, the servant would see that he has it better under the leadership of his master. And he would choose to be indebted to his master for a lifetime. And what does verse 5 say? Uh, the servant shall plainly choose. It's his choice. I love my master, my wife, that the master has given me. I'm not going to go out. I'm going to stay here. I'm committed to you. Okay? So the master would say, sure, come with me. Where would they go? The town square, to the leaders, to the judges. And what would they do? They would get an awl. And I wish I had an awl this morning. Picture a metal piece with a point on the end, not a simple needle that they poked through. And I envision a piece of metal with a sharp point. The servant would go up to the doorpost. And they would put the awl against the ear and pierce a hole. Bore, as the word is used here, a hole through his ear. A symbol of total commitment to the master. You can't back up. You're in it for life. But... The master, or the, the slave, the servant, is cared for, taken care of by the master. 
So, why am I going to this passage here this morning? First of all, we have an analogy. And then we're going to look at a couple symbols. And then we're going to wrap it up with, what does it mean for us today? First of all, the analogy. So, the poor man becomes a servant. The indebted man becomes a servant to repay his debt. That is the context. That is when a slave became a slave. What is that a symbol of? I think that is a symbol of our sin. You know, we see our sin. And Jesus requires that we, before we accept his grace, we recognize that we need help. And in this case, the person would recognize that he needs help. He is indebted to somebody else. That's when he would choose to be a slave. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. And when we recognize that, that is the first step to receiving grace. So right here, this man recognizes he needs help. He recognizes our we recognize our sin. And that's how it is for us today. First thing, we recognize we're fallen, we're sin, and we need help. And when we do that, then we can claim grace. Point two. The choice to be a slave forever. Okay? So the slave is now indebted to his master. He fulfills his time of serving his master for a number of years. He comes to the end and he realizes what he has under his master serving for him. You know, our choice, once we see our sin, we need to choose. It's not required. We're not being dragged to the throne of God, forced to live for him. It's our choice. It's each one of us. Nobody else is going to choose it for us. And do we have a love for our master? Do we recognize that we are better off with Jesus? And I love how verse 5 puts it. The servant shall plainly say. It's nobody else pushing him along. It's himself. He's the one making the choice. And that is each of our responsibility. We need to make the choice. John 3.16 says, Whoever, whosoever believeth on him shall be saved. It's there. And all we need to do is choose. Okay, so we saw our sin. We chose. And what about the piercing? What does the piercing look like? Why did they require that of the servant? It was a public statement stating commitment to the master. And it was a memorial or a reminder for the slave and for others that this person was committed to his master for life. What is our commitment? Okay, so we choose. What is our permanent mark? How do we make that public confession or commitment? And I think that could be seen in the baptism process. You know, we choose to follow Christ. But we follow through with baptism to show everybody else that we are committed. We are committed to the end 
We have chosen our master, and we are going to serve for him, live for him, and serve him. So that's the analogy. I think beautifully portrayed. The servant sees, our, sees he needs help. Do we see we need help? Or do we got it all under control? Secondly, it's our choice. The servant had to choose. Nobody else was making that choice for him. And he followed through with that choice with a public statement showing his commitment through the piercing of the ear. What is our permanent mark? What is our public commitment? So that's the analogy, okay? Pointing ahead. Now there's also some, some symbols that I see in this that I, I had a correlation with with our walk with Christ. First one, the piercing. If I said anybody want to pierce their ear, you would look at me a little strange, okay? But that was a permanent mark. It was something that was not going to go away. What, did, what was that a symbol of? The seriousness of the commitment. This was not a joke. This was not a one-time, one-decision, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants moment. This was something you thought about and counted the cost. That should be a symbol of our decision to walk with Christ. It is serious. Secondly, the door. Okay? So the servant goes to the judge. Uh, the master takes the servant to the judges. And the judges then get the awl and ready to pierce the ear. Why did they go to the door? Why didn't they lay their head down on the table? Maybe it was more convenient rather than putting your head down. What does the door symbolize? To me, the door symbolizes when we think of the door in the New Testament, do you think of anything? Jesus, right? Isn't that beautiful? As I looked into it, that is so neat. Here, Jesus was putting in place a law that pointed ahead to a beautiful New Testament principle, the door. And what do we find in Jesus? He is the only door to salvation. And through that door, we have the opportunity to enter into another environment. By the slave going to the door to have his ear pierced, he was accepting the fact that he was going into a new stage of life. That is what happens when we choose to follow Jesus, when we take seriously the commitment, go to Jesus, the door, and he then opens the door into a new life. Beautiful. And third symbolism I see is what? The ear. Why the ear? What, what has to do with the ear? Could it be that the ear, everybody could see the piercing, okay? Also, could it signify obediently hearing and obeying? The slave was now indebted to his master. Whatever the master said, he does. He's going to follow the master till his death. Do we take our commitment that seriously? Showing that we are going to obediently hear, obediently obey, which is obey. 
that commitment and that call that Jesus has. He is now our master. Are we going to obey? And to me, that beautifully symbolizes our walk with Christ and our choice to walk with him. Okay, so that's an analogy. We looked at some symbols. So why this story? What does it mean? What does that have to do with counsel or examining myself, yourself? Do we need to become a slave? Do we need to get our ears pierced? What does it mean? And viewing ourselves as a slave isn't necessarily fun. To have to listen to somebody else, that is sometimes the lies that Satan tries to make us believe. That Christianity or following Jesus is living like a slave. But isn't that what it is? Paul says in uh, Romans, I'm a servant, I'm a slave. Indebted. But time out, you're thinking. What was our Sunday school last week? Lesson. What is Jesus saying there? You are my friends. Okay. So one minute you're saying we need to be a slave. The next minute you're saying we're friends with Jesus. Totally different story. What do you do with your friends? You hang out. You go through life. You talk about life. You don't boss your friends around. Maybe you try. But you're in it together, right? So isn't that what Christianity is supposed to be? We're friends with Jesus. We're walking through together. Why does... Jesus require us to view it as slaves then? Why did Paul say, I am a slave? Here's the beautiful thing about slavery, brothers and sisters. When we're committed, we now look to Jesus to guide us, right? We have a better life. Why did the slave choose to go to the door and have his ear pierced and commit his whole life When he could go free, he realized he had it better under the master. And because he had that commitment, how did the master in turn treat him? With love. The master would take care of him, take care of his family, give him a wife. That's what the Christian walk is. If we just view it as friends and we kind of keep Jesus out here and put our arms around him, we're in it. Together, which is kind of true. But when we view it as a servant, we're going to do whatever he says. That's when freedom comes. Because when it comes to this time for counsel, when I need to look at my life, I say, God, what do you want? Speak to me. I'm your servant. And when we view it like that, we can be open and broken. There is freedom and power in servanthood. And that is a principle that is often missing in our life and in my life. We get too caught up on ourselves and looking good to others. Or we get worked up about life. What happens when you're a servant? Anything that happens, hey master, take care of it. It's not my problem. An employee... Something happens on the job. Hey, boss, come fix it. Isn't that beautiful? If you're a servant, if you're under somebody else, they take care of it. 
And when this message inspiration was coming to me earlier in the week, I was inspired by the thought of being a servant. And this weekend was hard. I was involved in a sold-out conference, and I was involved with the tech stuff there. And because of the, the restrictions in Canada right now, we have a couple youth groups who are going to be streaming in. So we get to uh, Friday night. I had done all my test streams and audio checks. Internet dropped five minutes before, and the audio was not what it should have been. I got frustrated. I said, God, why? And I started pointing fingers at other people. That's not servanthood. This was Jesus' thing. It wasn't mine. You see, when we get the concept of servanthood, no matter what comes, we say, God, it's yours. And that gives us the ability to look at our lives and say, God, is there anything wrong? How's my relationship with you? But when we get in the way, when we think we have it under control, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 11? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we give it to him, when we view ourselves as slaves to him, servants to him, he comes beside us and says, it's, you're my friend. I got you. It's okay. Trust me. So, counsel commitment could maybe take the place of the ear piercing. Not. We don't pierce our ears today. But we have these scheduled times for communion, counsel and communion. So can we take that as a time to remember that we are a servant to Jesus? A time to remember that we are committed for life. What good are reminders if we don't use them? What good is, a, is counsel, communion, if we don't take it seriously? Organization businesses often have a vision or mission statement that they refer to to keep them on track. Why are we here? What are we doing? It's also a reminder who we are accountable to. We are accountable to God. He is our master. Jesus Christ is our savior. And we're accountable to him. Examine our allegiance. Where is our allegiance? Where are we putting our time into? And another beautiful thing about counsel... So I referred to it. We're going to pass the mic around. The state of society today is increasingly growing individualistic. Meaning, you can do whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want. You can think whatever you want. It's okay. We'll accept you. Is that what Christianity is? No. That's not what Jesus' calling is. Jesus' calling is for service. Be in subjection to each other. That's why we pass the mic, so other to give other people a glimpse into our lives. That's why we come to counsel and say, join with me. What do you see in my life? Here's how I see myself. How do you see it? We need others. Satan tries to feed us the lie that Christian life is a tyranny. Jesus is a top-down, holding a whip over us. But that is not true. We humans, we like to be in control. So to relinquish that control of our lives to somebody else, to Jesus, is hard. But there's freedom in it. We can't have our ears pierced and still do our own thing. The servant couldn't have his ear pierced and still turn around and go out and do his own thing. There is freedom in slavery. 
My yoke is easy and my burden is light, Jesus says. Back to the story of Ben-Hur. If, I, if you didn't ever read the story, I would challenge you to do so. A tremendous uh, a story giving a picture into what the times were like back then. Back to Simon when he took control. He was tortured. And people tried to take the wealth away from him after the Ben-Hur family had moved on. But he stuck with it. Rachel, his wife, died as a result. But at the end of the book, there's a beautiful story of Jesus coming in. So go ahead, read it. I'm not going to tell you the ending. So this morning, I hope we got a picture of servanthood and what it means to be a slave, a servant to Jesus. And when we can get a hold of that concept, we can then enter into counsel, communion, with an openness. Jesus, I'm your servant. Speak. It's not mine. It's not, not anything I do. But it's you speaking through me. I pray that as we look forward to communion, let's do. Let's be excited about it. Commemorating together the Lord and what he did for us. But in getting ready for that, let's examine our lives. Let's ask our brothers and sisters how they see us. And may we partake worthily as we are committed to the cause of Christ. There's a song, Pierce My Ear, actually, that I would like to sing. So you can all stand at this time. And I trust as we go throughout the week, and as we think about being a servant to Christ, that we would invite others into our life to share with us how we're doing. Give it a moment while the projector works out. How many are familiar with this song? Good. Let's go ahead and sing it prayerfully and think about the words as we sing. Pierce my ear, O Lord, my God, take me to your door this day. I will serve no other God. Lord, I'm here to stay.
Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and thank you for this beautiful picture of servanthood. And dear God, our humanness gets in the way and we want to be in control. But I pray this morning that we would view our life as being a servant to you and ask you to pierce our ear. We want to be committed to you. And as we anticipate communion coming up, may we evaluate and examine our life and how our relationship is with you so we may partake worthily of commemorating what you did for us. Take us as we go from here. Help us to be humble servants for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.